Uh, most of us probably played some version of the game, follow the leader, right? And uh, if you don't know what it is, I could probably have one of these kids come up here and they could demonstrate. It's pretty simple, right? You got a leader and everyone else lines up behind them and they try to do what the leader is doing. So if the leader walks, everybody else walks. If the leader turns in a circle, everyone else turns in a circle. If the leader hops on one foot, the others hop on one foot. You get the point, right? The goal as a follower is to keep your eyes on the leader and do what the leader is doing. And the last child to continue to do that perfectly becomes the new leader, right? That's, that's the game. Well, that game, in a sense, is kind of a picture of what God calls us to in the Christian life. We have a leader, and his name is Jesus. We are to line up behind him. We are to keep our eyes on him, and we are to seek to do and say what Jesus would do or say. This is the Christian life to which all of us have been called. Jesus is the leader, except the only difference in the game is he's always the leader. <laughs> we never change. He is always the one that we look to. We are always the followers. On this first Sunday of this new year, I want to invite all of us to do some personal reflection in this whole area and, and to really ask the question, am I following the leader? Am I following the leader? As you reflect back on this past year, and again, none of us do this perfectly, but, but has it been your, your desire, your, your, your effort, your, your longing to follow the leader as you think back about this past year? Are you following the leader? As you think about the year to come, is it your desire to continue to grow in this way of life, orienting your life around Jesus and, and seeking to follow Him? Are you following the leader. You know, we just celebrated Christmas. We celebrated the reality that, that God entered into our history, that Jesus became a baby. And uh, we're so grateful for that because that baby grew up to be a man who, who gave himself for us, right? He died. He paid the penalty for our sin that we may have life. And so we worship him as Savior. But Jesus didn't come just to be Savior, he came also to be Lord. He came to be our leader. And so are you, am I following the leader? That's what I want us to think about this morning. We're going to look at a passage in uh, Mark 8. For some of us, it's a very familiar passage, but it's always good to be reminded of things we know. For others of us, this will be um, maybe somewhat new. But uh, we're looking at Mark 8, 31 through 35, where Jesus talks about following the leader. This passage marks a transition in the gospel of Mark. Uh, up to this point, he has been really focusing on Jesus' teaching and, and healing ministry in the area of Galilee. But, but in Mark 8, there's a switch, and the remainder of the book of Mark really is going to focus on the journey to Jerusalem. Jesus begins to set his mind and his attention to going to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. Right before this passage is, is the place where Jesus has asked the disciples, who do people say that I am, right? And Peter makes that confession, you are the Christ. And it's at that point that uh, we find our passage. Jesus at this point begins to speak very clearly about what going to Jerusalem is going to mean for him. And so I want to start reading in, in Mark 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests 
and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise from the dead. And then Mark says this, and he was stating the matter plainly, right? The disciples, Jesus had called them, if you read through the whole gospel of Mark, back in the early chapters, he had called them to, to follow him. He called Simon and Andrew, they're, they're fish, you know, fishermen, and they'd left their nets to follow him. A little later, he called John and his brother James, who were also fishermen. We're told they leave their father and they begin to follow Jesus. In Mark 2, he had called Matthew, the, the tax collector, and Matthew rises and he begins to follow Jesus. Up to this point, following Jesus had been kind of an amazing thing. They had uh, they'd seen Jesus heal and cast out demons. They had heard his amazing teaching. It was with authority like they had never heard before. They had seen him calm the sea and walk on water. They had seen him feed the 5,000. They had even been sent out by Jesus to proclaim the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, and to cast out demons and to heal people themselves. I mean, up to this point, in a lot of ways, following Jesus had been a pretty amazing thing. But now, Jesus begins to talk about suffering and being killed. And that doesn't exactly compute with what they've experienced so far in following Jesus. It doesn't compute with what they thought about the Messiah. And so, it goes on to say, and Peter took him aside... And began to rebuke him. You know, we sometimes wonder, like, Peter, what are you thinking? But the reality is, I mean, Peter is living this out in real time, right? He, he, we, we look at this from, with hindsight, 2020 hindsight, and understand why Jesus needed to go and, and suffer. Peter didn't have that, that uh, perspective yet. And, and uh, it just doesn't make sense to him. And so he begins to rebuke him. The, the popular theological view of the Messiah at the time was one of strength and power and victory. And that's kind of what they've been experiencing so far. And so this talk of suffering and death, it just didn't make sense in terms of how they viewed a Messiah. A Messiah who would be killed it was just not part of the picture that they understood. And so Peter begins to rebuke Jesus, but he doesn't get very far. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he, Jesus, rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on man's. And so in the presence of all the disciples, Jesus rebukes Peter. But there's this note that it says he turned around and he, he sees the disciples. And I think there's a couple of ways we could understand that. One is he's wanting to sort of protect them from, from this, the, the way Peter is thinking. But I think it's also very quite possible they all kind of are in the same place Peter is. And so it may be that the rebuke is actually for all of them. He's, he's looking at them, but he's speaking to Peter. And he rebukes him because he sees in Peter's words uh, satanic opposition, right? He'd had that wrestling with the enemy in the wilderness early in his ministry where, where the enemy was trying to get him away from his, his saving mission. And that same temptation is showing up here through the words of Peter. And so he rebukes Peter and he tells Peter he's thinking in a worldly way. He's not thinking with God's perspective about this. He's thinking about his own interests, not God's. It's at this point that Jesus reminds those who have been following him what it looks like to follow the leader. It says, and he summoned the crowd together with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wants to come after me, 
He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so we're told he, he, he's not only addressing the 12 here, but it says he summoned the crowd together with the disciples. And the fact that he starts with, if anyone wants to come after me, means, I mean, this is an invitation for all, right? It's an invitation for us to follow him. But he says, if you want to follow me, here's what's required. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We have to deny ourselves. And when we think about that, to, to deny self, it doesn't mean to deny yourself something. You know, like sometimes when we go into Easter and there's Lent and we, we choose to give things up um, for Lent, like I'm going to give up caffeine or sweets or TV or whatever, and we deny ourselves something. That's not what he's talking about here. And those things, that can be fine and all. He's talking about denying self. He's talking about renouncing self. He's talking about turning away from self-centeredness where all of our decisions are determined by self-interest. He's talking about replacing self at the very center and core of our life, and, and that's where Jesus needs to be. That's where God needs to be, at the very core of ourselves. That is required if we're to walk as Jesus' disciples, a re renunciation of self. But he also says, if anyone wants to walk as a disciple, he must take up his cross. And again, sometimes when we think about this, we'll hear people say things like, you know, my, my bad back or that difficult family relationship or work. Really, I guess it's just my cross to bear, right? We, we speak of these sort of irritations in life as, as a cross to bear. But that's not what he's talking about here. In first century Palestine, the metaphor would have been incredibly clear. Someone who was carrying a cross, they were as good as dead. Someone who was carrying a cross was walking in submission to Rome. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus is saying to the twelve, he's saying to the multitude, he's saying to us that if we want to follow him, we must die to self. We must choose to be in submission to God. To, de to deny self and to take up one's cross is basically to say we give up the right of running our own life. I'm no longer in charge. It's only when we do this that we can obey the final command to follow me. And, and when Jesus says to, to follow me, it's a, it's a present imperative. It's, it's a present tense, daily, moment-by-moment moment thing that he's calling us to. But the only way we can do that is the, these decisive, dis denying self, taking our cross. Those are things that we, we get settled in the past so that in the present there can be this moment-by-moment moment following of Jesus. It's the only way that we can follow the leader. This is the call of discipleship. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus as our leader. And Jesus knows as just the crowds and the, as the disciples and us hear this, you know, the cost can seem so great. And so in verse 35, he says, for, whatever, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. And so if you want to keep yourself at the very center and hold on to your life, he says ultimately you lose your life. But if you will displace self, if you put God in the very center of your life, if you will die to yourself, that's where you find true life. 
In other words, it's worth it. That's what he's saying. The disciples had been called to follow Jesus. They had been on this journey for some time. They had followed him. But here in Mark 8, Jesus is given a fuller explanation of what it means to follow. He's deepening their understanding. It means yielding all. It means choosing to follow him. And in this, we see a pattern that we're all called to, a pattern for all of us who are believers in Jesus. We're to follow Jesus like this. He is not just to be our Savior. He's to be our Lord. He is to be our leader. We're to follow him moment by moment. And we can only do that as we deny self, take up our cross, and then choose to walk with him in a moment-by-moment way. Again, as you reflect on this past year, has that been the pattern of your life? None of us do it perfectly, right? But would you say that, that's been your desire, your, your longing, what you've been seeking is to, to really die to self and, and follow Jesus moment by moment. As you think about the coming year, what is your hope and longing and expectation? Is your desire to grow in this? Are you following the leader? To help us continue to kind of reflect on this, I want to offer just some, some observations about following Jesus Three observations. The first one is this. Following Jesus like this is the normal Christian life. Following Jesus, just like we're talking about this morning, that's, that's a normal Christian life. This is not just like the way for a few committed special Christians. This is for all Christians. The Bible doesn't give two classifications of Christians. You know, those who are believers and those who are disciples. Those who are saved, those who are disciples. It, it's all one. To, to believe in Jesus is to follow him. To have faith in Jesus means to walk as a disciple of him. Anyone who is not following Jesus like he's describing here is not living the normal Christian life. As you think about this, as, as we've been talking about following him in this way, I'm curious what's going on in your heart. Is there longing? Is there a desire? Is there a yes to this? Or would you say, honestly, there is no impulse that I sense in my heart. There's no longing. There's no real desire to follow in the way that we're talking about here. What is going on in your heart right now as I talk about this? And here's my thought. If if there is no impulse, if there's no desire, my encouragement to you would be to make sure of your salvation. Have you really trusted Jesus to be your Savior? Has the life of God been born in you? Because when we make that decision to trust Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us, gives us new desires. He gives us a want to, to follow Jesus. And if you're just absent of any kind of impulse to want to do that, then my encouragement to you is not about striving and struggling with that, but but have you genuinely trusted Jesus as Savior? Make sure of that. Make sure of that. And again, I'm not saying we don't struggle with this. We all struggle with this. But make sure of your salvation. Because following Jesus is the normal Christian life. Here's a second thought. Following the leader requires a fundamental decision to follow. Following the leader requires a fundamental decision to follow. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples to here. That is what he's calling us to here. 
Anyone who wants to follow him, there is a choice to make. It's the choice of giving up the right to run our own lives. It's the choice to give up our own agenda. It's the choice to put Jesus at the very center of our lives and to follow him regardless of what that means. I've shared this story of my own experience in the past, but I want to share it again because this, this was sort of my journey with uh, this challenge. Um, over the Christmas break of my junior year in college, uh, I traveled to a Christmas conference with my campus, a Christian conference, and towards the end of that conference, uh, a speaker gave a talk about and a challenge to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. At that point, I'd been a Christian for some time because I'd trusted Jesus as a young boy. Um, and at that point, I was reading my Bible regularly. I was praying. I would share my faith occasionally. I was leading a, a Bible study on campus. But I'd not truly made this decision. I was still in charge of my life. I was still calling the shots. I was like holding on to my life like this. It's mine. I'm holding on to it. And the speaker was challenging us to give up control of our lives, to, to commit to Jesus that we would go anywhere and we would do anything that he wants us to. At the end of that talk, he asked all who were ready to make that kind of decision to really say, Jesus, you're going to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to follow you to, to stand. And uh, all around me, hundreds and hundreds of people were standing. To the left and right of me were friends from my campus standing while I remained remained seated. I think the same talk had been given something similar the year before, and I stood. But this year I was actually honest, and I knew I could not say I'm really yielding my life to Jesus. And so I sat there with kind of an honest assessment of what was true within me, but, but even as I sat there, there was something deep within my heart, there was a want to, to get to that point. Remember leaving that conference, it probably got over January 31st, January 1, uh, something around there, headed back to school, and over the next seven days, God continued to bring me to that. Am I, would, would, am I willing? Would I, come to a, would, would I make Jesus really the Lord of my life? And over the next several days, God, He really was pursuing my heart. And it was on January 7th, 1985. 39 years ago, this very day, that I got on my knees in my bedroom, in my duplex in Kearney, Nebraska, where I went to school, and I yielded my life to Jesus. And I know it was that day, because in the inside flap of the Bible that I was carrying there, my Ryrie Study Bible, some of you had those Ryrie Study Bibles, I wrote this, Lord, today I make you Lord of everything. Take my life and use me. I will go anywhere and I will do anything that you want me to. I am not my own, but I'm your bond slave. I choose this as a response to your love and grace towards me, which brought me to salvation in Christ. Following Jesus requires a fundamental decision to follow him. It really does. If you have not made this decision, do you want to? What would keep you from it? I know what kept me from it. What I was really wrestling with was like, if I say it's yours, would I really love the life that Jesus led me into? 
What I love, what I end up doing for career, what I love, maybe relationally, who I'd be connected, what I love, who he might lead me to be married to. What I, what I, would, does God have a better plan for me than I do? Was really what I was wrestling with. And I became convinced he had a better plan. If you've not made this decision but want to get there, I would encourage you just to begin calling out to God. You can't fake it, right? He knows what's on your heart. But if you find an impulse, a desire, a want to, to get there, whatever that might mean, just ask God to bring you to a place where you would willingly and joyfully submit to his leadership. Ask him to bring you to a place where you understand that this decision to give up the right to run your own life is what is truly good and satisfying, will bring joy into your life. Not necessarily an easier life, but ask him to lead you to that place. Because following Jesus requires a fundamental decision like that. Here's a third thing. Following the leader requires a daily decision to follow. Yes, we have to sort of settle the matter. We have to make that decision because how can I daily follow him? But we do need to daily kind of continue to renew this decision. Um, We all are self-centeredness wants to rise up, right? We all have this tendency to kind of want to pull back commitments we've made. And, And the hymn says it well, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. We all feel that pull. And so there is this need to continue to renew in a daily, fresh way. I need to do this. We all need to do this. The life of following Jesus is the better life, but it's not necessarily the easier life. Following Jesus is the better life, but it's not necessarily the easier life. That's why we have to continue to renew this because sometimes following Jesus comes with difficulties and challenges and sacrifices and hardship. Sometimes following Jesus is a life of being, under, being misunderstood and, and to be mistreated even. And we have to renew this decision. It's the better life, but it's not necessarily the easier life. And so that's why we have to continue to, in a fresh way, say, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to follow you today. Following the leader requires a daily decision to follow. It's the normal Christian life. Following the leader requires a fundamental decision to follow. Following the leader requires a daily decision to follow. Are you, do you want to follow the leader? Before we kind of transition to, to communion, I, I wanted to mention uh, Jennifer was talking about the, the kingdom, that, that group that we're offering. I, I think the kind of immersing yourself in that context and that content, thinking about kind of the story of God and what it looks like to live with, in, consistently with the story of God and, and to walk as, out of discipleship. That could be, if you're wanting to see your heart move to a place of submission, that, something like that could be really a, a very helpful thing. So I encourage you to think about that. So I mentioned during, during my junior year in college, I, I made that fundamental decision to follow. And honestly, as a result of that decision, as a result of giving up control of my life, my life has turned out much differently than, than what my plan was. I'm doing things that I never thought I would do. I'm, I've been places, I've done things that I, I never, it was never part of my agenda. And I haven't always followed him perfectly. It's always a struggle. But 39 years to the day from bending my knee to the Lordship of Jesus, 
I can honestly say with full conviction, there are no regrets. No regrets. Again, it's not the easier life, but it's the better life. I can think of times where I have not, where I've taken back control, where I've said, I'm going to do this my way. And when I've gone that way, that's where I have regrets. But never when I've really gone Jesus' way. Never when I've followed him as a leader. Today, as we come to communion, we eat the bread and we drink the juice as a reminder that Jesus gave his life for us. His body was broken, his blood was shed, that our sins might be forgiven, that we might have spiritual life. Jesus, compelled by love, gave himself for you and for me. And honestly, that's at the core of what moved me to say, I can trust God. If, if, if Jesus would love me in the way like this, that he would sacrifice everything for me, then maybe it's possible that he actually knows what's best for me. It's what we are celebrating in communion is the heart of what moved me to submission. And so wherever you're at this morning as we, we celebrate communion, let me encourage you to, to think about the death, the sacrifice of Christ. And if you're already in a place of submission, then uh, you know, this is an opportunity to thank God and to invite him to continue to strengthen that resolve. But if you're struggling with this, and it's okay that you're struggling, but, but just... Ask God to use the reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for you to move you to a place of surrender. Have faith. We invite all who have trusted Jesus as Savior to join us in this, this celebration. Um, if uh, you didn't grab the communion supplies as you were coming in, feel free to slip outside the doors and grab those right now. For those who are at home, we hope you've uh, planned ahead and have some bread and juice to join us in this celebration. In a moment, we will take the bread and after some scripture we will eat together then we'll take the juice and after some scripture drink together but I want to pray and, and give you a moment just to talk to God to listen to God and pray with me Father we uh, thank you for this morning and and these words from Jesus to deny self take up our cross and to, to follow him God in these moments would you show us what's true about ourselves? In these moments, would you help us think about what an amazing love is demonstrated, that you would send your son and that your son would enter into this world, that he would give everything, that he would shed his blood for us and let that reality move us to a place of submission. Father, we open our hearts to you now. Take a moment and listen to God, talk to God.
the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Fathers, we move into this new year. Would you pursue our hearts? Would you overwhelm us with your love and your goodness? reflected in the sacrifice of Christ, would you bring us to a place where, where we know that the thing that makes the most sense is to give up control of our lives, to yield to you and genuinely follow Jesus as our leader. It's in his name we pray. Amen.